Man, it's good to be with you. Uh, last week, we had an amazing time in the scripture of the book of Colossians, and we were in actually chapter two, or chapter one, rather, uh, of Colossians, um, or were we in chapter two? We were in chapter one, that's right. See, thank you. It was a reminder uh, to remember that you were present last week. Um, So we were in chapter one, but we talked about the supremacy of Christ. The reason why it was great to start off with the supremacy of Christ is because we want to get an orientation around the Apostle Paul's Christology. And again, the Christology of Jesus as the Messiah, not just Jesus as a person, not just Jesus as the prophet, but Jesus as the God King. So in Colossians chapter one, we are going to get into how Paul, the apostle, his deep love and affection for the church. So we're going to actually start at the very beginning of the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And uh, it's this title of the sermon, if you're a ferocious note taker, it's called Supreme Thanks. And I believe it's up there. Supreme Thanks. Again, this sermon series is about Christ as supreme. So we're going to give supreme, we're going to examine the supreme thanks of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So let's read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it is among you since the day you heard it and came, it came truly to appreciate God's grace. You learn from this, from Epaphras, our dearly beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the spirit for the spiritual growth of the church. For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to the glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light he has rescued us, From the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let the church say amen. 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 Now, one of the beautiful things about Paul the apostle that you will not only see is his beastly, that means amazing, prowless, and intellectual uh, just stimulus. Paul, I would say, is a genius. Now, Paul is one of these people who you encounter who can recall knowledge, the one who is very disciplined, um, the one who knows many facts. 
Now, Paul grew up as what he would call in Philippians a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I'm that man. I'm that guy. I am creme de la creme. I have studied at the Harvard, the Yale, the MIT, the Stanford Business School. So I've been looking at business school things, and they're like, Stanford's one of them, right? Paul is saying, hey, look, I have been to these things. I have studied under the best. But Paul ended up encountering the God of the Bible, Jesus the Christ. Paul had a knowledge of God. He had a zeal of God, but he yet did not know the person of Jesus. So when we read in Colossians, Paul, the apostle of King Jesus, by God's purpose. We just got to pause right there. Paul. Paul's background was deeply rooted in the Jewish tradition of the Torah. Where Paul's heartbeat was to see God liberate his people. Was to see God be his God and he to be one of his people. If you don't know, Paul was what we call a Pharisee. And one of the issues that we've got to kind of clear up today is the Pharisees, uh, when we talk about it today in 2022, is we look at Pharisee as a negative connotation. We say, oh, when someone's being super serious and they're, 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 they're taking the gospel and then they're adding things to it, we'd be like, oh, you're a Pharisee. Or you're being you're just being a Pharisee. And it's a we use it in the in our terms as a negative connotation. But if you don't understand the ancient context by the reason why and what the Pharisees did and why they existed, you will miss out in the ramifications of Paul's letters and his heart for the church and his heart for the gospel, his heart for the Jewish people and the heart ultimately for the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning anyone who was not Jewish. You see, the Pharisees existed to help keep the nation of Israel focused and worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. You see, Paul's heartbeat would be like Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, where Paul, the apostle, would talk about the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Elihenu, Adonai Echad. Hear Israel, our Lord is God, our God is one. This one God is God over all gods. There is one God, one Lord. And there had been a history of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, continually rejecting God and worshiping false gods. Or people coming into the people of Israel and taking over their land and forcing them to worship other gods. There will be historic issues and realities of what happens when God's people commit adultery on him and worship other gods. And the Pharisees were a group of people that were called and trained to keep the nation 
focused on the truth of God's word. Their heart was always to keep the nation of Israel focused on the truth of Yahweh, on the truth of God, that there is one God, that they were to Shema. The word Shema is not just hear or listen. It has this meaning of listening and doing. When I, with my kids, I've tried to teach them this word, even this Hebrew word. Now, we don't speak Hebrew in my home, just so you know. Um, there are chocolate Hebrews. I am not a chocolate Hebrew, okay? We do not speak Hebrew in my home. But I'm trying to teach them this word, Shema. Hear. You're, you're hearing with your ears, but you're not hearing with your heart, with ultimately your heart leading to actions of your hands. You're not shemaing. I tell my daughters, I want you to shema. I don't want you to just hear with your ears, but I want you to hear with your heart, which then in turn makes your hands and your feet and your life move. The Pharisees were trying to help people shema, hear, hear you, God. And so if we miss this, that Paul was one of these young people trained in the Torah, trained in the ways of Yahweh, then we'll miss what's happening. We'll also find later on about Paul, this one person, this apostle, of Christ Jesus by God's will or by God's purposes that he was actually there when one of the leaders in the church, Stephen, was stoned. The scriptures actually tell us that Paul was watching the coats of all the people who took off their robes to go ahead and stone Stephen. You see, there was a zealousness that Paul had. There was a zealousness that the people had because they were afraid of any kind of message that would come against Yahweh that they had to deal with. Well, there are two things to note. Number one, under Roman rule, that murder of Stephen was not sanctioned, number one. But their zeal of what they think the Torah says to carry out, to stone Stephen for bringing something else in there where it wasn't really something else. It was really the truth of God about Jesus, the Messiah. Here's the other interesting of note. When we talk about Pharisees, you see, God was not angry that Pharisees were seeking to keep people to read uh, to reorient themselves and understand and keep true to worship the one true God. It was the addition of other laws on top of his Torah that he had a problem with. You see, in an effort to keep people away from danger, they added extra things to God's word and then claimed that these extra things were actually sanctioned by God. Which is why Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, he comes through and he's like, hey, yo, fam, uh, I never wrote that. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And he's like, well, when I wrote the book, fam, as the word of God, 
God breathed, that I am the word of God, Jesus, the word. As John 1 would say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John 1.14, then this word became flesh and tabernacled, posted up, set up shop, put himself in flesh. He's like, yeah, I didn't write that. You add extra things on top of my word, my law, and you actually are crushing Friends, there's a delineation that we need to make in between the truth of the gospel and different things that we want to add on top of it. Is drinking a sin? The Bible doesn't say that drinking is a sin. It says that being drunk is a sin. That being given away to drunkenness or any other thing is a sin that you worship more than God. But when we come in and say, All drinking is sin. And try to explain away that Jesus actually drank grape juice for communion as opposed to wine. Or when we don't acknowledge that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into what? It wasn't Kool-Aid. It was wine. You see, but we like to add things on top of God's word to try to have an outcome that produces safety and security. But actually what it actually leads to is destruction. God's word is perfect on its own. It doesn't need your little sugar or salt. There are many dishes that are served to us sometimes that are undersalted or oversalted. And what happens is, is we oversalt the truth of God's word. When we don't take it for what it is and we add to our own. That's what Jesus was having issues with, with the Pharisees. And as Paul would later on talk about his zealousness for God, his zealousness. Now, Matthew asked me, asked me earlier, how long have I known uh, Pastor Justin? It's been around 13, 14 years. Now, Justin will tell you, I, I was zealous. I had a zeal, but fam, I had no knowledge or maturity to even match up with the zeal. What does that mean? It means kind of like, you know, that song coming in hot, right? I, I, I came in hot. I came in like, yo, did you know that Jesus this and Jesus that? And I was rapping too. I was a rapper. I wanted to proclaim Jesus. Like, hey, man, if you ain't with this, this, and this, you better watch out. And then it kind of turns into that song like the Christmas song, you better watch out. You better not cry. You ever thought about that? Man, that's an amazing music, but the lyrics to that song are terrible. You better watch out. You better not cry, because I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. That's super creepy. Super creepy. But that's the that's that's type of the the the, the attitude, the zeal. You see, but Paul's heart, as he understands, as he was a person of zeal. But he had a knowledge of the Torah, but he did not have a knowledge or a relationship with Jesus. You see, mere knowledge or theology or reading of the scriptures do not make you holy. They also do not make you righteous or understand who Jesus is without an encounter with God. 
and Paul, in his zeal, has an encounter with God. Jesus on the road. On the road. Damascus. Paul has an encounter with Jesus. And he says that you are not actually persecuting the church, that you're persecuting me. And Paul, all of a sudden, everything makes sense. As we talked about last week in the supremacy of Jesus and cream, that Christ rules everything around me, that even when your world is falling apart in Christ, all things hold together and make sense. As one commentator would say, that if you actually took, for example, one of the wisdom literatures, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is my favorite book, which people are like, how is that your favorite book? That's depressing. It's true. It's depressing. But it'd be telling the truth. That if you took the book of Ecclesiastes out of the Bible, don't trip yet. If you took it out of the Bible, you opened it and you put the rest of the Bible inside of it to where Ecclesiastes would be the front and the back. All things would make sense way more. All things are the understanding of what Jesus is doing, what God is up to in the restoration, the reconciliation, and the liberation of all things that you would understand these things. That Paul wants you to have a knowledge of God. That you would have an intimate relationship, a knowledge of knowing. It's different from saying, oh, I know that guy. Or I know that girl when you don't actually know their name, number one. You don't know their favorite color. You don't know where they live. You don't know their birth date. You might know, but you may not know. Just like Shema, you may hear, but you may not hear. We've got to understand that because when Paul is writing this, he is saying, hey, I want you to know and be filled up with knowledge. The two themes in these texts in verses 1 through 8 is the thankfulness, the supreme thankfulness that Paul has. We see Paul go from a persecutor of the church to one of its leaders to where he is in opposition of the truth of Jesus and all of a sudden gets ghosted and is like, I'm on your team now. And everyone's like, wait, what? Some of y'all have had that experience to where you've been with your friends. And you're like, wait, hold on. You're not going to kick it with us no more? You ain't going to do the same things that we was doing before? And Paul is encouraging this church at at Colossae, the Colossian church, as they're a new church plant started by Epaphras, that this he wants them to be filled with knowledge and wants to thank, be thank, wants to know, wants them to know how thankful he is. Now listen to this. Paul an apostle, King Jesus, like again last time we talked about, the reason why he's using these words like Lord and King is because he's saying Jesus is King. Not Caesar, the God King, who has declared himself to be King. There are all these statues going on, and he's saying that Jesus is King. And that he is an apostle, that he is called to lead in the church, chosen by Jesus Christ himself. And this is what I think is so amazing and crazy. In verse 1, he says, Timothy, 
my brother or our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the king's faithful family, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then in verse 3, he says, we. What does this word we mean? We, Paul and Timothy, together. Timothy is one of Paul's spiritual children. Young Timothy became a believer under the teaching and preaching and discipleship of Paul. Why do I want to stay here for a second? I want to stay here for a second because this is, this is wild. As Pastor Justin has talked about how God is calling them to a, a new season in a new outpost uh, to serve Jesus in the gospel, I want you to understand this. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's in jail, y'all. He is writing this letter to the church of Colossae. But at the same time, Paul also writes not only Colossians, he writes multiple other letters to other churches. And they, as he writes these around the same time, one person is delivering these letters. His name is Tychicus or Tychicus, however you want to say it. I'm dyslexic, so some things might sound a little bit different. But as you look at the book of Colossians, and if we go into Paul's squad supreme, as I would like to call it, his squad supreme, he talks about all the people who are part of his squad, the we. Listen to what he says. This is what he's saying in the final greetings. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful minister and servant in the Lord. I have sent, uh, in going down to verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. So that you may know how we are and so that we may encourage your hearts. He is coming with who? Onesimus. Pause. Do y'all know who Onesimus is? No. Here's the crazy thing. Onesimus is a former slave of Philemon. We get the letter Philemon. So if you look in, 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 in the book of uh, Philemon, Paul says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So he's like, by the way, I'm writing this letter with Timothy. And he says this, to Philemon, our dear friend and worker, to Epipha, Epiphia, our sister, uh, to Archippus, our fellow soldier and one, to the church that meets in your home. As you look back in Colossians, in chapter 1, verses 17, Paul writes this, And tell Archippus to pay attention to the ministry that you have received in the Lord so you can accomplish it. So he's writing this letter to Philemon, who was actually a member of the church at Colossae. Here's where it gets super interesting in his squad supreme. He writes this letter to Philemon at the same time that he also writes this letter of Colossians. He says this, grace to you, Philemon, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I will always thank God when I mention you in my prayers, because when I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through the knowing of good thing, every good thing in us for the glory of Christ Jesus. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because of your heart of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Roughly put, this is when you uh, know you want something and you got to talk well before you make the ask, right? If, if you're married, you know, home better be right before you ask your spouse, can I go do X, Y, and Z? If they're not in a space, you know what the answer going to be, right? No. So Paul, when he's writing this letter to Philemon, he said, hey, fam, praise God for you. You're my G. You're my guy. I love you. I'm thanking God for you. He was being honest, but he said, hey, uh, for this reason also, although I have great boldness in Christ to pull rank, to command you to do what is right, he says, I appeal to you instead. I appeal to you on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, I'm old, y'all. I'm old. As an elderly man, which that should spark you to remember. Remember before the pre, you know, old Paul, you know, we call it the old man. Like some of y'all are like, man, that person was talking to me all crazy. They don't know. Had I not known Jesus, I would have snatched them up. They would have caught these hands. Paul saying, hey, try Jesus. But don't try me because I fight, right? Like Toby says. But he says, I could command you to do what is right. He said, but I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. That's a man who's gone through a lot of change. But he says, as an elderly man, and I am now also now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's correlating saying, Onesimus, your former slave was also a prisoner just like me. So we're a lot alike. He says, I appeal to you. For my son, saying that Onesimus, your former slave, is my son. I became his father while I was in chains. Saying that while I was locked up, Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. Well, what happened? Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, who Onesimus was like, man, I'm out, and dips, and runs away. He runs away to Ephesus, and then encounters Paul, and then becomes a follower of Jesus. And to Onesimus' great, uh, probably shock and surprise, Paul's like, yeah, uh, I know all the people over at that church. I didn't start the church. Epaphras started the church. But yeah, uh, my dude Philemon also goes to that church. He's like, oh, snap, uh, I was his slave. He's like, oh, you know what you, you, know you got to go back, right? Dang, Paul, I ain't trying to go back there. Surely punishment awaits, which was true. He said, don't trip. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter on, on your behalf to Philemon. And he says, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. He says, I am sending him back to you, and I am sending my very own heart to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, 
but of your own free will. (laughs) But perhaps this is why that Onesimus, he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer Um, No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a deeply loved brother. He is also especially to me, but how much more to both of us in the flesh now and to the Lord. So if you consider me, Paul, a partner, welcome him. Welcome Onesimus as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, since I am confident of your obedience. I am writing to you to say that knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my co-workers. The grace of the Lord's Spirit in Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Have you ever connected those before? Isn't that amazing that Paul, when he is writing this letter in prison, he, when it says we, there are so many people at this particular time that are laboring with Paul as a co-laborer. Friends, I want you to know that though Justin may be transitioning, God will still continue to build his church. Paul is in prison and he's writing a letter to a church that he didn't even start. And not only did he not start it, the person who started it is with him, meaning that the church is still functioning in leadership and and Jesus is calling people to himself so much so that one of those own members leaves uh, or has a slave. That slave says, I'm out, dips, goes and ends up encountering Paul, becomes a follower of Jesus, and now Paul sends him back with Tychicus to read the letter to the church. Could you imagine Philemon standing there as Tychicus is reading Paul's letter to them? And also, as he's reading it to the congregation like we are now, uh, Tychicus also pulls out from his back pocket uh, another scroll and says, uh, Oh, hey, Philemon, uh, Paul uh, told me to get this to you. And what Paul does at the very end of his letter of Colossians was this. This is what I think is so amazing. He says this. Pay attention to the ministry that you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting to you in my chains. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. A man who had been consumed with zeal without the knowledge and the relationship with Jesus is now all of a sudden talking about grace and peace. In this young church, Paul is writing this letter because they are in danger 
as every church is in danger of not remembering that in Jesus, all things make sense. And that Paul's pastoral heart is for them not to think that because he is in chains that the gospel will stop. Friends, it does not matter what city you are in. It does not matter who is next to you. It does not matter who is communicating the truth of God's word. Paul is chained in jail, but yet the gospel is not chained. If you even remember when we were quarantined from COVID, we had to stay in our houses. But guess what? Though our bodies might have been in our house or in a fixed place and position, the good news of Jesus Christ as gospel, as king, as Lord of all, did not have to be quarantined. The word of God is not quarantined, meaning that God will continue to build his church, as Paul would say in his dope, beautiful rap song, the hymn that we read last week, that Jesus is the head of the church. Because Jesus is alive, he will always build his church. You see, God buries his workers, but never his work. Moses was buried. Elijah. All these people exist and then don't exist anymore. All of the great preachers, the theologians, male, female, they are not, they're not around anymore. But guess what? The gospel still is. His church still is. So when Paul says we, I want you in particular, Calvary, the hill to remember this, that we, that ministry is not done by one person, that ministry is not done with one family, that ministry is done by the one family of God. God will always raise up people. God will always raise up leaders and ministers, just as Paul Preaching the gospel, this church in Colossae was raised up. And now all of a sudden, he's writing to them to tell them that he's thankful for them. That he says, we thank God of our Father and our Lord Jesus. We pray for you. Leaders and people who lead the church pray for those they lead. You see, he says that you are God's holy people because you hope. And that hope is kept safe for you in the heavenly places. You see, all of us are trust fund babies if you believe in Jesus. I got a trust fund. And if you had a trust fund, and let's just say hypothetically, someone just gave you the keys to this amazing, dope Ferrari. You don't know how to drive a stick. You don't got a license, no nothing. But you just get the keys and try to drive it, what would happen? All bad, let's just say it now, you would mess up that car so fast. And if you actually got it to go, you would be dangerous to other people on the road. You see, there are certain things and aspects of a trust fund that are now, but not yet. It's the same thing that First Peter would say, that you have a inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you until the day that Jesus returns. You see, we have hope in Christ that as he will come and make all things new, we have that hope in him. 
that we trust in him as, uh, as we are trust fund babies in the trust and the inheritance of him, of all things that he has. Paul wants us to remember that the truth of the gospel has arrived. Paul wants to remind you, to remind all of us that the truth of the gospel is here so that in the world you will not forget it. There are other messages, there are other philosophies, there are all these other gods and things that will say, here's who we are. But Paul wants you to remember, by the way, fam, the good news, like a newspaper, has already come to your door. Why is Paul writing this? You see, in in the ancient world, the ways that communities and uh, oriented and cities oriented themselves was around these different deities, these goddesses, and these other gods. And in order for your city to flourish, you would have to appease those gods. It was part of the ecosystem, even the economics, as Paul would talk about in the book of Acts, that making of idols. This is a big piece of the world that Paul is writing. So if we don't understand this, what we're going to do is miss this. That for you to be a follower of Jesus meant that all of a sudden you would be placed in a position like Stephen. That you would be in a city to where if, a, if something happened like a famine or a natural disaster, they would automatically assume it was the Christians. Because you are following a different God or you are proclaiming one true God Calamity has fallen on us, therefore we must destroy you before you destroy our society. Friends, there's nothing different from today than in Paul's day in regards to anthropology or the understanding of man. We still live in a society today that says, appease these deities, appease these gods, appease this, appease that. And if you don't, we'll destroy you. If you don't, we'll put you out. You see, Paul does not say to meet that opposition with violence. He says, no, meet that opposition with love of being faithful to the truth of the gospel. And in response of a gospel witness of loving God, loving others, that the opposition is not violent, that the opposition is love. People interpret disagreement with violence. If you disagree with somebody on a philosophy or a certain viewpoint, they'll be like, you're just, you're being so violent with your words right now. It's like, I'm not being violent. I'm just disagreeing. Well, you can't disagree. You see, and we sometimes think that disagreement is the ultimate form of rejection. You see, we can still disagree with our friends and our family that we, that we love and still hold to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, what would it look like for the church of Jesus Christ for people to know us for our love that we have for one another and our love that we have for people who don't know Jesus? What if they knew what we were for rather than what we were against? One of the things I love in my neighborhood is that people know that uh, I've been a pastor and planted a church and our church closed. And so they but they still call it call me Pastor Javon. They're like, Pastor Javon, man. And I just ran into one guy this morning. I was sitting in my car reading and he says, hey, so what's what's the sermon today? He, he's not a follower of Jesus. And I tell him what the meaning of the sermon is today. And he was like, wow, man. He's just like, you know what? That's crazy, man, that you're still doing this. 
that even as a planting pastor, our church closed during the pandemic, I'm still preaching. I'm still going and attending my church just as a member. He's like, well, why do you keep doing it? Because Jesus died in my place for my sins. I have good news that Jesus is alive. Though Flourish Church, the church that planted with people may be closed, the gospel is not. The gospel is open for business all day, every day. And people are still encountering his people, not just me, but his people in the neighborhood. And they say, man, they use some other language, some expletives, which I can't say uh, because we're in church. Um, But had I met somebody like you, I don't believe it, but I might actually believe in Jesus. I might actually believe that. Friends, may our witness of the truth of Jesus, of what we really believe, be so uh, palatable and amazing and good that they say, you know what, I disagree with you, but you're making me think. I ain't feeling you, but man, I like you and I still kick it with you. Friends, that's what the love of Jesus does. Faithfulness and love, not to try to get someone to believe like you, but to love someone like Jesus loved you unconditionally, regardless of what you have done. Paul is reminding them that the gospel is on your doorstep and it's producing fruit and it's growing in all of the world. Friends, I got good news for you. The truth of the gospel has continued for ages across the whole world and it is continuing to bear fruit and produce fruit. I am some of that fruit. Remember that when a tree produces fruit, the fruit is just not good for you. It's not only for you to take it and eat of it. It's also for other people to enjoy it as well. You see, we are, we are saved by God, by his grace, in his power for others. We don't exist merely for ourselves, but to serve others. And Paul is saying that the gospel is producing fruit among you, and you heard it, and you came to know the grace of God in truth, that the newspaper of God is at your door. He says in verse 8 that they had love in the spirit, that unity, unity, that love in the spirit as a new gospel community in Jesus. Friends, I will tell you as a person who has had um, been in ministry in many aspects in many places. I've had great ones. I've had bad ones. But I will tell you this. There is nothing that destroys a church faster than disunity of love in the spirit. Love in the spirit. Let unity and the love of the spirit guide you. As Paul would say, my prayer for you is wisdom in verse 9. For this reason, for this reason, in the day we've heard that we haven't stopped praying for you. Friends, I know Pastor Justin has not stopped praying for you. I know that Pastor Nick has not stopped praying for you. I know that you have not stopped praying for your pastors. I know that you haven't. And this is the heart of God for, our, for his people, is that we would pray for one another. That we would be so in in we would just be so engulfed with God's love that we continue to pray for one another. And Paul was saying that we're, he's asking God to fill us with the knowledge in all of his wisdom and spiritual understanding 
again, Paul wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God, to know Jesus. And I want to encourage you that just as much as your pastors and your leaders are praying for you as a church, the ultimate pastor, the ultimate shepherd, Jesus, the good one, has been praying for you. And he has already prayed for you. And he is always eternal. And he will continue to love and build you in his truth. You see, Jesus is wisdom. And wisdom is what your church will require in the next coming months. And the good news of the gospel, that we can hope that Jesus says that those who ask for wisdom, let them ask, and I will give it to them. Friends, may we dive deep into the reality of waiting on the wisdom of God to be filled up with wisdom so that we might bear fruit in every good work. And as Paul would say, to grow up in the knowledge of God. Paul grew up. Paul grew up in the knowledge. And as he wrote Philemon, I'm old now, fam. Paul, he said, I got my son, Timothy, my spiritual son, and I got Onesimus, my spiritual son. I'm old now, fam. I got kids. Justin's known me since before I didn't have kids, before I could even grow facial hair, before I even knew how to drive, before I even had a car. But time, experience, we all grow. We're all growing. We're all growing more and more in God's grace. There, sometimes we think that, like, uh, you know, there's like a, a mark that we're going to hit, and all of a sudden, I am the most maturest in Christ. We live our lives. We have a prayer lives that way. We have our Bible reading that way. We think about seminary degrees and Bible theology in that way. Or we get so down on ourselves when we fall and when we sin because we think somehow that we can perform our way to righteousness as opposed to remembering that we are righteous already. We're already accepted. We obey because we are loved. We don't obey to get God's love. You see, but we are to grow up in the knowledge of God. God will fill you with wisdom. And he's going to call you as a church. He calls us as a church to be filled with that knowledge. And pray that God would give you strength in accordance to his power and glory. And complete patience and become truly steadfast and joyful. Remember, Paul is in prison. He don't know if he's going to get out or if he's going to stay in prison. But we do know that he thinks that he might get out. He's like, hey, yo, on account of a technicality, because uh, I know the master, I think that he's actually going to get me out of here. So much so that when he writes Philemon, remember what he says, hey, accept Onesimus, my son, and guess what? Uh, get my bed ready, because I'm going to come through after I get out of prison, right? So when he's writing this, and he's talking about truly steadfast and joyful he is not writing this from a happy place in his life. Friends, there are going to be times in your life where you are going to be challenged to be remain steadfast and joyful in the midst of things that seem like there is no joy. There is going to be trials and difficulties. And like Pastor Justin said, that sometimes we're asking to be delivered from the trials when God actually wants us to go through them to grow us in the knowledge of him. And we have to have this understanding that though we may be suffering, in our suffering produces something beautiful. It is only through the refiner's fire that you can purify gold. And Paul
Paul is writing this in prison. It's not a joyous time. And in the midst of uncertainty in churches, in leadership transitions, it may feel like it's an uncertain time. But Paul says that our joy is not a circumstance. It's trans-seasonal. True joy is trans-seasonal. You're either coming out of a trial, you're in a trial, or you're about to go into another trial. But Paul says, may you not forget the good news of the gospel that it's here today and that you will be filled with the knowledge of God with power and strength and bear fruit to produce steadfastness and to be joyful. And in verse 12, and I pray that you will learn to give thanks to the Father. Friends, I am so thankful for the time that God allowed the church plant that I was part of to be alive. It was one of the most difficult things to close during the pandemic. Justin can tell you, I have been preparing for planting a church for so long. So long I've been preparing, 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 preparing. But even in opposition to plant the church, even planting and starting the church, to end up having to close it was one of the most difficult things that I ever endured and had to go through. It was difficult. But you know what? I give thanks to God. I give thanks through all the opportunity that God allowed us to do. To all the people that came through and became followers of Jesus. To all the people who encountered the love of God to give thanks. In the good and the beauty of it. And in the bad, to give thanks. Friends, gratitude determines your altitude. Gratitude. The book of Philippians, in all things, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God is good. He is on the throne and he is supreme, the cream. Christ rules everything around me. Christ rules everything around us. He is Lord. He is the head of the church. And because Jesus is not dead, the church ain't going to die either. The true church will continue to go on because he's faithful to build it. That God buries his workers, but never his work. Remember this, that he has delivered you from the power of darkness and put put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, I'm, I want to encourage you and remind you, even like in the parable of Luke 15, the older son was just as far gone as the younger son. He, as, uh, as uh, Henry Nouwen would say, that he was more focused on being uh, in the field rather than enjoying being at home. But, but, Dad, I was here working for you, Dad. You ain't give me no goat. Sounds crazy, huh? That's how he felt. You know, but he didn't enjoy being in the father's, his father's kingdom because he was so focused on working for him. Friends, I want you to know right now that God is not into hiring employees. He's into adopting children. Employees got to work for their pay. 
children get an inheritance. They get an inheritance, whether you got money, whether it's knowledge, whether it's property, or whether it's love. We all inherit something from our parents to get an inheritance. And the Bible says, hey, try. Try to give your kids an inheritance. Some of us may not be driving Rarys, but give something. Love, family, wisdom. And I want you to know now that you are adopted. For those who are in Christ, you are adopted. He brought you in to his family. You don't got to be an employee. So the weight that we feel, we got to remember that Paul says, remember the kingdom of his beloved son. Y'all are in the kingdom of the beloved son. And Jesus as the king, the good shepherd, who's at watch over your souls, who's protecting you, who's providing for you, who is leading you, who is guiding you, who is in his spirit, in his grace, building his church and saying, don't forget, fam. You used to be in the kingdom of darkness, but now we switched it up. I brought you from darkness into the light. And remembering that he is the one in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Friends, Jesus averted the wrath of God so that we can be in his family. And as I end with this, to remember that we have redemption, we have been set free, and we have the forgiveness of sins. We have been cleansed and washed. God would say, if you come to me, I will cleanse you, and I will wash you, and I will forgive you, and I will wipe away your sins no more. If that has been you, friends, Christ, he is forgiving you. He has washed your sins away. You are free. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus' blood has washed us white as snow. We have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. This is the truth of the gospel. And this is the knowledge of the wisdom which Paul, through the love of God, wants us to have. I want to encourage you today to remember that Jesus will continue to build his church and that we have been washed clean. And if you do not yet know Jesus as the one who was washed you clean, or if you do not know Jesus as Lord, Master, Savior, and King, that he invites you today to come to him not as an employee, not to perform to get his love, but to remember his performance on the cross. And when you remember that as all of creation was subject to futility through our sin, that Jesus was crowned in a violent way with the crown of thorns placed on his head, you know what that meant? They crowned, even in their violence, they crowned the king of kings with the crown of thorns, making him king over pain. Friends, he is king over all our pain. He is king over our pain. He is king over our suffering. He is not the author of it, but he is sovereign over all things. And Jesus, the king, has come to liberate us, transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the marvelous light, to know Jesus Christ the son, the liberator of all of our sins. This is 
the knowledge of wisdom that I want you to be filled with today. Jesus will build his church. And in the words of Apostle Paul, I want you to remember to give thanks to God in his wisdom with gratitude, remembering that you are saints, that you are called out ones, that you are already holy. His blood has made you holy. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality of your word and that we can give you supreme thanks because you are worthy of the thanks, God. God, there are a ton of different things that you have given us and you've been gracious to us in. And sometimes, Lord, we forget your graciousness. Sometimes we forget your love for us. And oftentimes, God, we are so worried and we are in the hamster wheel of performance and trying to be perfect and trying to get all the right theology, trying to get all the things right, trying to do everything right, God, when you are just saying, hey, fam, my beloved child, I love you and I'm for you. Friends and brothers and sisters, God, would you love us? Would you show us your truth? God, may you show all of us here today that you are not here to hire us as employees, but you are here to adopt us as children. That we are loved by you. And that we would not invert the story of your redemption that we would remember that Genesis 1 comes before Genesis 3, that you created us in love through your, through your trinity, through Father, Son, and Spirit, in your divine love. We are the overflow made in your image. God, may we remember that we are made in love to be loved, for love, to love you. We are not born broken. We are born loved. And yet in our brokenness, God, you seek to reconcile us and to put back what was wrong, to put back right. God, may we remember we are deeply loved by you. Nothing more, nothing less. Grace upon grace to us. We thank you for this truth. It's in Jesus' name that we submit ourselves to. And may we remember, God, that we would to your grace, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You all are God, and our God is one, and we are one with you in the baptism of your Son Jesus. We thank you for all these things. Amen.